when there are these camera shots on news bulletins around the world of crazy people lined up thousands deep just waiting for Best Buy or Target to open, you're there. I have been known to frequent those sorts of events. This episode is brought to you by Nadex, the Binary Options Exchange. Binary Options lets you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. I'm Tori Stilwell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News. It is Wednesday, November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and I am with my colleagues and co-hosts Dan Moss in D.C. and Aki Ito in San Francisco. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hi. And before we get the show started, very important, we are hosting a cocktail party next Tuesday, December 1, in D.C. to celebrate Benchmark. It's going to be a bunch of economists, policy experts, journalists, and we're holding a couple of free tickets for our listeners. So if that guest list doesn't excite you, we three will be there. How about that? So if you're in D.C. and you'd like to come, please let us know via Twitter and we'll be happy to send you the details. We're skipping our usual chatter today about the global economy so we can all head out for Thanksgiving a little early, but we do have a fun show for you, especially as many of you think about braving the Black Friday crowds or not for the kickoff of the holiday shopping season. All right, Tori, so let's set the stage here. The holidays are a huge deal for the U.S. economy, and it's an especially big deal for retailers. First of all, Black Friday is the single busiest shopping day of the year. That's right. And for our international listeners, this is the day after Thanksgiving when everything goes on sale just about and people binge shop for Christmas presents. A little known fact about me, I actually love Black Friday. It's like a guilty pleasure of mine, even <laughs> though everyone touts its demise. When there are these camera shots on news bulletins around the world of crazy people lined up thousands deep just waiting for Best Buy or Target to open you're there. I have been known to frequent those sorts of events. And are you going this week? <laughs> um, to be determined, but there is a strong chance that I will be there in Hickory, North Carolina. Wow. <laughs> and holiday sales in total are estimated to reach $630 billion this year, according to the National Retail Federation. Holiday shopping accounts for as much as 30% of annual sales for retailers. And per person, consumers end up spending about $800 in holiday shopping. Uh, the vast majority of that goes to gifts, and the rest is spent on little things like food and decorations. And it seems like that's almost ingrained in the DNA of the U.S. economy. We love giving gifts. We love getting gifts. But there's one guy who thinks that all this might be a problem. He thinks it results in a, quote, deadweight loss, which is economics jargon for any kind of waste resulting from economic inefficiency. It can stem from things like bad monopolies or bad government regulation. But in our case, it's bad presence. 
We have Joel Waldfogel on the line with us. He's a professor at the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management and the author of a book called Scroogeonomics. Yeah, really, Scroogeonomics, Why You Shouldn't Buy Presents for the Holidays, which basically explains our show for us. Joel, hi. How did you come up with that term? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it really just follows very naturally, sad to say, from, uh, from economic theory. You know, a basic tenet of microeconomic theory, and frankly common sense, is that people do pretty well when they buy things for themselves. Because when they do that, well, they know what they want, they know what they need, so they'll only spend a dollar if they get something that's worth at least a dollar for them. Gift giving is kind of different. You know, I go out to spend a dollar on you, and I probably don't know what you want or need, so I could easily spend a dollar on you to buy something that's worth, oh, this is the worst case, nothing. Nothing <laughs> to you. And you've actually found a way to quantify that waste, right? I have. I mean, over the years, I've done a lot of surveys of various kinds of recipient populations. And what I ask people is, think about some item you received as a gift. You know, uh, what's the most you would have been willing to pay for that item? And just think about the item, not, you know, put, a, put aside for a moment the sentimental value, just the item. Then think about stuff you bought for yourself, and what's the most you'd be willing to pay for that? It turns out that if you look at what people are willing to pay for stuff in relation to what it costs, that per dollar spent, gifts deliver about 20% less value to the recipients than money spent for one's self. You know, in short, gift-giving, whatever its wonderful qualities might be, is a poor method of resource allocation. So, Joel, when I spend $20 on this box of chocolate, I know it's worth at least $20 for me. Otherwise, I never would have bought the box of chocolates in the first place. But when I spend $20 on this box of chocolate for Dan, uh, let's say he doesn't really like chocolate, it could only be worth $10 to him. So there's $10 wasted right there. Exactly. Now, it's not to say that we always do poorly. If you know somebody really well, you might do quite well. And in fact, Givers who are in frequent contact with their recipients tend to do pretty well, but folks who aren't and who therefore don't really know what their recipients want or need tend to do pretty poorly at resource allocation. Joel, you first published something related on this more than 20 years ago, and your book came out gosh, I guess six years ago at this point. So since then, you've given a lot of media interviews. You've taken a little bit of heat on this, right? Have your views on this topic changed at all or any of the points that you make changed at all? Well, one of the things I think is important to, uh, to, to say is that gift-giving, I keep saying gift-giving is a poor method of resource allocation. That doesn't mean, though, that gift-giving necessarily is a bad thing to do. I mean, it could be that the good things we accomplish through gift-giving are valuable and that they couldn't be reproduced by other means. So I think it, one has to be careful to say, look, gift-giving is a kind of a bad way to choose stuff. But then the tough question is, well, what else might we do instead? One thing that really has happened over time is that you know, 20-some years ago, gift cards were pretty rare. Most giving took the place or took the form, I should say, of giving stuff. And in the past 20-some years, there's been enormous growth in the use of gift cards instead of using particular gifts. Now, my wife thinks this is my influence. I'm not that grandiose. <laughs> but, but whatever the cause, there's really been a shift toward worrying about value in gift-giving and gift recipiency. I mean, the National Retail Federation, typically, they do surveys asking what items do people want as gifts, and it turns out that gift cards are really high on the list. 
Now, I don't, it's not my job or my role to advocate that people should do something other than what they're currently doing. I mean, economists are more observers, but it is interesting to observe that there's been a huge shift away from giving stuff and toward giving things that gives uh, some choice to the recipient, namely to give gift cards. But macroeconomically, the money is still spent. You've still spent the same amount of money. Does it really matter what does it, you're oh, spending think, does it on? Does it matter whether we buy stuff people do or don't want? Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, Here and here's why. If you think about the reason why we care about spending is because spending typically delivers satisfaction. If people go out and spend stuff that is of no use to anyone, it is true the sellers get something, the sellers get some revenue and some profit, but it generates none of the stuff that consumers actually care about. So if you think about a well-functioning economy, revenue is an interesting measure because it's an understatement, typically, of the amount of value that's being delivered to ultimate consumers. It is true, even if we buy stuff no one wants, that there's revenue, but there's no happiness on the consumer side, or happiness is too lofty a term, no satisfaction on the consumer side. So I think it it does really matter. It wouldn't matter to the GNP statistics, but after all, we don't care about them in and of themselves. We care about them in as much as they reflect some happiness or satisfaction being generated for consumers. This is fascinating, and let's pick this right back up after a word from our sponsor. What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity, and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options lets you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade, so your risk is always limited. Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. So, Joel, it's really interesting, your discussion of gift cards, how they have become less stigmatized than before. Um, In Japan, New Year's is the big family holiday. And and when I was a child, I got an envelope of cash from my parents, my uncles, aunts and grandparents. And I got to go out to spend that extra allowance money on candy and things like that. I heard there's a similar custom in China. I'm wondering, you know, since you started this research, have you tried to give gifts of cash to? any of your relatives or your friends? Well, I'm a pretty conservative gift giver, and I tend to give gifts to people I know well. And so maybe we all kind of overestimate our our efficacy as lovers and as gift givers, but, you know, I think I'm good at it. And so when I give gifts, I give gifts in situations where I think I'm giving something they actually want. What strikes me as the problem with obligatory gift-giving, as happens at big holidays, is that there's a mandate to buy something for each of, well, let's make up a number, 27 different people. Now, it's possible you have a good idea about what those 27 people want, but it seems unlikely. The person you know really well, maybe you have a good idea. So in my own case, as I say, I'm pretty conservative, and I tend to buy gifts for people who are pretty close to me. And so my strategy is to listen during the year to what I get some hints so I can buy something they might actually want. (laughs) Joel, what's the most recent gift that you've given? Gosh. That's a toughie. I don't remember. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> so, you, but it does sound like you actually do give gifts that you haven't imposed this ban on yourself. No, not at all. I mean, I, I give gifts to my uh, to my family 
And uh, and actually, I, I have this habit of giving gifts spontaneously. If I happen to see something that strikes me as a good match for some friend or family member, I'll just go buy it. Oh, I love that idea. That's a good one. I know with um, my two closest friends and I, we have this practice where for Christmas, we send each other long lists and everyone is allowed to pick something off of that list and that's it. You're not allowed to stray from the list. And it seems really, I don't know, it seems kind of sad <laughs> to a certain extent because we're not <laughs> allowing ourselves to be surprised, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of every Christmas, we've always been very happy with all of our gifts. I love That's that. That's interesting. I mean, I, I don't want to suggest that people should abandon practices that they really enjoy. And I think that, especially for young kids, the, the traditional way of doing it via surprise works fine. But people get to a certain age, and they're harder to please. And I think this, this idea we have to go out and buy stuff ends up creating a lot of both anguish on the part of givers, but you know, kind of value destruction for recipients. And it's those situations where people, I think, might want to consider doing something different and where, in fact, they have. And it's two things. It's both the gift cards that have grown, but also in recent years, there's been a lot of talk about giving to charity uh, Mm. at holidays. Now, I I don't think most little kids would would like an empty box with a note saying that, you know, money was given to charity. But for a lot of grown-ups, I think that might be just fine. Mm, that's right. And, and Joel, how much do you think we're actually wasting in the U.S. economy as a result of holiday gift giving? Well, if you take the numbers, uh, you know, if you take the numbers literally, I'm saying people kind of do 20%. The value of what's given through gifts is 20% less valuable per dollar spent than uh, stuff one buys for oneself. My more conservative, my conservative way, or I think reasonable way of measuring the volume of holiday gift giving is not kind of the full spending in November and December that the Retail Federation says, but rather if you look at the spike in spending in December relative to the months around it, in recent years you get a number like about $80 billion in the U.S. per year. $80 billion times 20%, you know, $15, 16000000000 billion would be, I guess, a, a back-of-the-envelope uh, estimate of the, the volume of value destruction per year. Gosh, that's a lot. So, but one thing I should be careful about, again, though, is that it's not clear, even though I say that there's value being destroyed through this process of gift-giving, it's not clear that the solution is to stop giving. After all, givers may be- get some benefit out of giving. Right, a uh, sentimental value. Right, they might, and, and it might not be reproducible if they were to give different things. So it is, you know, it's a bit of a conundrum. Is there a way to quantify that sentimental value of this gift giving? Maybe that's your next study for you. <laughs> well, I think one way to think about um, the sentimental value is, is kind of the flip side of it, which is that why don't people just give cash? Right? Yeah, there's a stigma with cash, though, well, right? Well, exactly. No, exactly. I mean, but what you see is that if you look at giver-recipient combinations, and if you look at contexts where people tend, where, where a dollar given tends to produce a lot less than a dollar's worth of satisfaction if the giver choose an, chooses an item, the givers in that circumstance are much more likely to choose instead to give cash or gift cards. So you see individuals responding to the prospect of value destruction by instead choosing to give cash. The interesting thing is, so on the one hand, that's like, okay, good. That's people responding in a way that kind of preserves value, and that's good. But on the other hand, uh, people give cash less often than they would if there were no stigma. Yeah. And that actually tells you there is a stigma, Mm. which I guess is a flip side of saying there's maybe some enjoyment 
in giving non-cash gifts. That's a good point. Very interesting. Tori, I have a question for you. Okay. So a couple months ago, I got you a vegetarian cookbook by the famous chef Yotam Atalengi for your birthday, Mm -hmm. and it cost $33. So knowing all of this research, uh, would you have preferred that I Venmoed you $33 in cash or given you a $33 gift card to Starbucks? Or would you have still preferred this cookbook in physical form? I actually am going to go with the cookbook. I, first of all, I don't have Venmo, so <laughs> run into a little <laughs> bit of a problem there because I'm like such an old soul. Um, and I don't drink coffee, so I would have felt like the Starbucks gift card was a little wasteful. But like looking more broadly, yeah, I loved the gift because it was something I never would have bought for myself if I had $33 you know, extra dollars just laying around. But I don't think I like undervalued that book. I don't think I was like, oh, this is like a $15 book, you know, Um, because the pictures were great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think I would still choose the cookbook. Wow, that's great. That warms my heart. Yeah. Um, That's probably a great note to end the show today. Uh, Joel, thank you so much for joining us and happy holidays. Hey, likewise. Thank you. So to our listeners, if you'd like to ignore everything we just talked about and go browse for gifts anyway, we have a beautiful holiday gift guide up on Bloomberg.com right now, photographed by the famous photographer William Wegman. He's the guy who takes all those pictures with the skinny dogs. I've actually never seen those, and I'm going to go like spend the next couple of minutes being really productive and looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back next week. And until then, you can find us on Bloomberg.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, and many other places. While you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so other listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought about the show. And again, if you'd like to join us December 1 for some cocktails, send us a tweet. You can reach us and follow us on Twitter at DanielMossDC. Corey Stillwell and Aki Ito Seth. See you next week and happy Thanksgiving. This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex binary options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, Forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X dot com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. We're proud of our new and growing suite of original podcasts, all designed to help you navigate the complexities of business, financial markets, and the global economy. In addition to Bloomberg Benchmark, which you're listening to now, don't miss Odd Lots, a deep dive into the intersection of markets, economics, and finance with Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway. There's also Deal of the Week with our mergers and acquisitions reporter Alex Sherman, looking at a breakdown of the biggest deals and giving you an inside peek into corporate boardrooms. All three shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast for Android, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. Check them out and subscribe today.